So, Daniel, I want to apologize in advance for my message because it's going to discourage you. And (laughs) I just want you to know I wrote this sermon way before we ever talked. So, just so you know. (laughs) Um, The the question I have for you is, uh, what's the trajectory of your life? What do you think the trajectory of your life is? I kind of want you to keep that on the back of your mind as we kind of go through a huge amount of the book of Acts that deals with Paul and the trajectory of his life as a missionary, as someone who's going out to serve God and to do what God has called him to do. It's, it's an interesting uh, problem for me because sometimes I think, well, it's, as I get older, I get more and more aware of, of the time that I have left, uh, what's been accomplished, what remains to be accomplished. But mostly I become more and more aware that I have um, less and less energy, uh, less and less health, uh, less and less uh, time, uh, less and less of things that I thought when I was young I would have in abundance. Uh, some of you know my mother is in a care facility in Phoenix and um, there's been this bed bug infestation and they've had to move her out of her room and then there was all kinds of problems and, and she was just all upset and I, had, I went down to Phoenix a week ago and and spent some time with her, and um, she said, you know, I just hate getting old, and I just hate what's happening, and I just hate that I cannot do the things that I hoped I would always be able to do. And that's kind of the trajectory of life. For those of you who are on the health kick, for those of you who are dieting and being healthy, for those of you who are exercising and doing really good things for your body, for those of you who think that all that's going to be really good, and it is, um, you're going to die. You're going to get old, and you're going to get decrepit. According to Ecclesiastes, you're going to be led around by the hand. Um, That's what happens to my mother now. She has a walker, and if she doesn't have a walker, she has to be led by the hand. Right? That's going to happen to everybody in this room if you live that long. Right? Um, other bad things can happen. Are, are you getting depressed? Because it is kind of discouraging, isn't it? It's kind of depressing. And so I just want to leave you in that, in that depression that irrespective of what you think, um, how life is going to get better, how you have this great dream and this great plan and this, you know, I'm going to be happily married and I'm going to have a great job and I'm going to make lots of money and I'm going to do, I'm going to be deeply involved in the community and I'm going to, all whatever, uh, all those things are wonderful and they may happen for short seasons and then they won't. Acts 18 verse 24 says, uh, starts a little bit, uh, we're kind of following the Apostle Paul, and we're, and we're kind of, um, Paul is the, he calls himself the least of the apostles. I like to call him an apostle because he's, he said, 
early on that he was the least of the apostles, which if there were 12 apostles, then he's number 13, right? So he's really, really doing well. Like he's number 13, maybe 14 because we don't know. They had that other guy elected. Anyway, um, but he's, he's kind of a top-tier Christian. He's, he's like the best of the best of the best. By the way, at the end of his life, when he's in prison, just so you know, he says, I am the worst of sinners. He goes from being the absolute best to being the worst of sinners. He's going from, from top-notch to, uh, I'm suffering and struggling and I'm in prison and I don't even have a coat or my books or anything, and I'm suffering for Christ. Christ calls you into a relationship with him. He's calling you into a path that will lead to suffering and struggle and pain, diseases that you don't want, um, maybe. Uh, Who knows what God's inviting you into, right? We don't know. So here's kind of the story. I want to start with Acts 18, verse 24, because I want you to know you're not in this alone. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, The brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. God sends help. Isn't that great? God sends a community around us. God puts people in our lives. God surrounds us in our journey to follow him and to follow wherever he leads and to, and to do all that he asks of us in a world where we know we will struggle and suffer. In that world, he gives us helpers. He brings people alongside. He sends Apollos to the church. Apollos is articulate. He doesn't quite have it all nailed down as to what the gospel is. But he's close, and then God sends Priscilla and Aquila, this wonderful couple that we only really hear rave reviews about in Scripture, who invite them into his home, him into their home, and they teach him the ways of Jesus and the ways of grace and the ways of of salvation. And and because he's articulate and because he's so capable, he goes out, and those who oppose Christ. He can argue with them from Scripture, and he can debate them, and he can prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the good news. (laughs) That's really good news, that God is going to send people around you to disciple you, to encourage you, to give you hope, to walk with you. Acts 19, verse 1 says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism? They replied, and Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus 
On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul distinguishes between these two baptisms, the baptism of repentance and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a baptism of empowerment. When you are a follower of Jesus, you have the baptism that comes because you repent of your sins. When we drag the big tank in here on Easter Sunday and um, we you know, try to drown people for a few minutes, it's not drowning them. It's washing away their... It's a symbolic, a beautiful symbol of, of the washing away of their sin, the cleanness of inside that, that God has taken their sin away. Also, God invites us into receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit on us. Um, the Spirit in us to work the fruit of righteousness, to make our lives um, acceptable more and more so, that we become more and more an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But the Spirit on us to give us power to act, to do things, to do miraculous things, to do the things that matter. That is available to us. That's available to each of us. So Paul does that. And and so the church becomes empowered. This kind of feels like the upward, upwards trajectory thing, right? It feels like this is a good direction. You know, Paul had started out his life uh, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a Roman citizen. He's torturing this Jewish sect that they call... Uh, Christians, he's he's uh, or the way in those uh, in the early days, and he's uh, torturing them. But he's loved and respected in society, and he's highly educated. He's a he's a graduate of the university. He's he's kind of a brilliant guy, and and he had that little momentary lapse where he uh, got knocked off the horse and decided that Jesus was worth following. But now he's got this little upward trajectory life going again. It looks good. He's doing good things. Aha. Read on. Acts 19, verses 8 through 12. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Good stuff, huh? But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all of the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, that had touched him, were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Hmm, all of a sudden there's some obstinate disagreement. Uh, all of a sudden there's this inkling of resistance. All of a sudden it's not quite as exciting as it once was, but still miraculous things are happening. It still feels like an upward trajectory life. It still feels like things are going to get better and better and better. The kingdom of God is spreading. Paul's got a lot to do with that. He's... Uh, He's really in a special place. But all of a sudden there's this resistance. Uh, the initial stages of resistance. There's, there's some disagreement. There's people who won't listen. You find that in your life when you talk to people about Jesus? Eh, 
good for you, not for me, and whatever. Um, nothing, you know, they're not killing you, they're just, eh, whatever. Acts 19, starting with verse 13, says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped, in, jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came openly and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So people see this power that Paul has, this power to speak the truth, this power to persuade people, this power to do miracles and to do amazing things, to cast out demons. And so they say, hey, I cast out demons in Jesus' name like Paul does, right? There's mimicry, there's, there's imitation, there's people who do this to draw attention not to Jesus, but to draw attention to themselves, to to become like Paul. He's become famous. Sort of upward trajectory stuff still, but 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 now it's getting kind of kind of hard because there's this fakery and there's this imitation and and there's this falseness. But God uses that. God uses that fakery. God uses that imitation. He exposes it. And these people who who go and do it and they don't have Christ and they don't follow Jesus, and, and God is not, the Spirit is not on them, They're, they are not of, of God, suddenly they're in deep, deep trouble. And people see that, see that there's this oppression of those who don't believe, that there's this, this pain and suffering and struggle that lives in this world, um, and, and they, and they um, kind of revolt against what these folks have tried to do, and they start analyzing their own lives. One of the invitations is for us to look into our own lives and start to say, hey, am, am I real about Jesus? Do I really trust Jesus? Do I really follow him? Am I for him? Am I messing around with other things, or am I sold out to Christ? It's interesting that they come and they offer this themselves. It's not something that's done for them. It's not something that they're compelled to do by anyone other than the Spirit saying, come to Christ. And so they do, and they, they publicly get rid of the stuff that keeps them from Jesus. In Acts 19, verse 23, it says, About that time there arose a great disturbance around the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. 
He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself is worshipped, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia, and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Wow. You start having influence, you start having effect, you st- you're, who you are and, and, and your following of, of Jesus begins to matter in this world. And whoa, there's pushback. Serious pushback. Friends of yours start getting hurt by those who are, are grabbed, taken off the streets because they're preaching the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. All of a sudden, there's this crowd in an uproar. There's unrest. There are people stirring up trouble. This silversmith, Demetrius, he's, he's going around going, you know what, I'm, uh, we're, we're losing business here, folks. You attack the world's business structures, guess what? You take away their money, the stuff that they worship, whoa. All of a sudden, it's not nice anymore. All of a sudden, it's not comfortable to be a Christian. All of a sudden, it's not easy to follow Jesus. There's a stirring up of trouble. Paul's response is interesting, however. In this suddenly flattening out of his life, in this suddenly it's not all going so well, there's been this huge influence, but all of a sudden his life isn't going so great. In the middle of that, Paul does this kind of crazy thing. He, he becomes bold. He, he exercises boldness. He, he, he wants to go into the theater and talk to these folks. And people go, uh, uh, no, you know, like, wow, no. And people try to protect him and keep him from being hurt. None of us want Daniel to get hurt. None of us want him to get a rare disease. None of us want anything bad to happen to him. Right? So here's our warning. Please don't, you know, maybe you shouldn't go to Nepal. (laughs) Right? Isn't that how we are? Isn't that how our hearts are? Isn't that what we want? Right. Who knows what God has in store? Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 22, starting with verse 22, says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, this is Paul, says, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you 
among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is fearless in the face of this suffering. He knows what awaits him. He knows that there's going to be trouble. He's fearless. But he has a task to do. A task that he has to finish. A task that he has to finish no matter what. The task is the giving out, sending out, expressing the gospel. Daniel, you're going to be a representative of Jesus Christ in Nepal. And you're going to be giving them nice building projects and all those other wonderful things. But what you really are is you're giving them the gospel. Because the gospel is on you and in you and comes out of you when the Spirit is on you to speak the truth and love. You go and you bring gospel. That's our calling. That's everybody's calling in this room. It's not just Daniel's. It's nice when we go off to a far-off place and we think, okay, that makes a big difference. No, it doesn't. Each of us, in the places where we're at, in our work environment, in our school environment, wherever it is we are, we are those who complete the task, finish the task, of bringing the gospel to this world. By the way, I, I, I just want to do a little side note here. Um, it says, watch over yourselves, right? Keep watch over yourself. You are personally responsible for how you hold and keep the gospel. It's not the church's responsibility. It's not Eric and Rod's responsibility. It's not the community's responsibility. You're personally invited to take responsibility for your own salvation. And then, and this is, the, this is my, my, uh, uh, my invitation to Jeff and Emily, uh, you're to commit <laughs> those you love to Christ's care. Right? Because my little sister... Um, has cerebral palsy and she has a hard time traveling and when she discovered that my mom was in trouble and scared and there was all this stuff going on um, she said this wonderful thing she said Rod I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a plane out today but it may take me a couple days to get uh, a reservation so <clears throat> not sure how that worked uh, <laughs> perhaps it'll take a couple days for you to get there but she wanted to go visit mom and I said Ruth what will you do when you get there it's really hard for her to travel. I said, what, what would you do when you get there? She says, I will sit there with her, and I will hold her hand, and I will say how much I love her, and I'll help take care of her. And I said, that's beautiful. Can you do that the rest of your life? Because you're going to go home again. And then we have to trust mom. Not to the care of this world. Not to some perfect care home. Not to some perfect nursing staff. But trust her to Jesus. 
I have to do that too. It's hard to trust those we love to Jesus. But that's the invitation. Paul's invitation is that we commit those we love to Christ's care, and that's what he does here. Acts 21 verse 12 says, When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When, the, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Sometimes we are called to go into dangerous places and scary situations in our life to hard places. I don't know what God's going to ask of you. When you know that God has called you to do something that's really scary and hard, that could cost you your life, when, if, when that happens, I love Paul's um, resolve. But what I also love is that the people around him finally said, okay, God's will be done. Every other Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer, do you, do you realize what you're saying when you say, Thy will be done? When I, for a while, when I was young, I skipped over that part. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure I wanted God's will to be done. I wanted my will to be done, and I wanted my will to be acceptable to God. I thought my will was... I want a nice upper trajectory life. I want good things to happen. I've got a plan. Uh, God, would you cooperate with my plan, please? Then everything will be great. And then there came that day when you start realizing, no, not my will be done, but your will be done. Trusting each other to God's will and God's purpose. Acts 21, verse 27 says, When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and, our, and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd when the rioters saw the commander and the soldiers they stopped beating Paul the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains then he asked who he was and what he had done some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another and since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried in by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. So much for upward trajectory. So much for good things happening. 
So much for happy days in the future. So much for a great retirement plan. I'm just going to drift off into the sunset. It's going to be awesome. Violence, upheaval, confusion. That's where Paul's ending up. <laughs> Not this glorious life that we might plan. Not this wonderful upward trajectory that we had hoped for. Instead, you're getting beaten and they're trying to kill you. Acts 22 verse 1 says, this is Paul speaking, he says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. He goes out in front of this violent mob, this crowd that wants to kill him, and he gives testimony. He tells this whole beautiful testimony. And go read in Acts 22. Read what he says. He tells his story. You have a story. You have a story of how you've come to Christ. You have a story that is unlike anyone else's story. It's, a, it's uniquely your story. You following Jesus. The beauty of that. The gorgeousness of your story is that. It contains and embodies the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news. Paul tells the story of what Jesus has done in his life. You get to do that too. It's, it's hard enough sometimes for us to do it when we hope the person is receptive. <laughs> How about if everybody wants to kill you? If you say one more thing about Jesus, it's off with your head. You're going to say one more thing? You're going to tell your story then? Giving testimony in the face of adversity, are you ready to do that? Would you be willing to do that? Are you terrified to do that? 22 verse 11 says, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take Courage. Take courage. Grab hold of courage. Grab hold of heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't be hopeless. Uh, don't be like Rod starting the sermon tonight. Don't, don't, don't go into that depression. Don't go into that dark place. Take courage. Wow. But it's God telling you to take courage. It's God inviting you to take courage. God says, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Oh goody, you know, I'm getting killed here. What's going to happen in Rome, right? It's not going to be easier. The great thing about an invitation to testify to who God is in your life is that you get more opportunities, greater opportunities. Opportunities that affect a whole kingdom, perhaps. The kingdom of Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin 
petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. Wow. 40 people who aren't going to eat until they kill you. Wrap your brain around that. We are going to starve unless we kill Paul. In your life, you will have multiple opportunities to witness to the greatness of God in your life. And you will be attacked, and you will be mistreated, and you will be hurt, and you will be abused. And if you're not, maybe you ought to rethink whether or not you're following Christ. Did you think that following Jesus was a life with an upward trajectory? Oh, it starts small. First, there's just a failure to believe in public ridicule. Then there's some imitation and fake stuff going on around you. There's some disturbances, some unrest, some stirring up of trouble. Then there's some violence and the threat of death itself. So you go, well, Rod, why in the world would I follow Jesus? Because you know what? You're going to die anyway. Bad stuff's going to happen to you anyway. And you will not have the presence of God to walk with you. You won't have Jesus who comes and whispers in your ear. You won't have God coming beside you and say, take courage. You'll never experience that unless you live at risk. Daniel, you're going to be at risk for three weeks. I pray that you're safe. I pray and I will pray every day that you're safe. And that good things happen. And that you have a passion for mission and ministry that not only for this moment, but lasts the rest of your life. But it's risk. (laughs) It's risk. You know, you're going as a tourist for a reason. Because they don't like you to come as some other thing. Hear any echoes of what might happen? What could happen? Yeah. We live in that world, folks. God whispers in our ear, take courage, have hope, live, don't be afraid, testify to all that I have done in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you whisper in our ear to take courage, that you give us hope, that you walk us into dangerous things and protect our lives, that you care for us and love us and give us good things. Thank you for your presence. Be with Daniel as he goes to Nepal. Protect him. Hold him in your hand. Help him to do good things. Help him to speak the truth of who you are. Help each of us to do that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.